hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. It's a solo episode day, so we can all celebrate. Not that we, we love our guests around here, but I just thought you guys loved the last solo episode. Why not do another? I am recording live from New York, but I am going to Austin tomorrow. Very excited. So there's a lot going on. I thought we would start with updates, but this week's episode is all going to be about slaying relationships and we're going to talk about attachment styles and we're going to talk about love languages. I did a lot of research. I have some resources and if you feel like you already know what these things are, that's totally fine. I also knew what they were before I did the research, but I feel like I've learned new things and come up with like some new cool, fun insights that we can talk about in regard to both topics. But of course, let's chat before we get into it. I saw the movie Air this past week and I just had to tell you guys a little bit about it because you guys know me I'm not a big movie girl like listen movies to me are just too fucking long and typically it's a hit or miss like I connect to a very specific type of movie like an interstellar for me is one of the faves even though it's so long I connect to it and I felt like I connected to the air movie it's basically about the deal that Nike struck with Michael Jordan in the 80s that basically took Nike from like zero to hero for lack of a better description but like Viola Davis is in it and Ben Affleck is so fucking hot all of a sudden I wanted to read the shoe dog book I did buy a pair of dunks like during the fucking movie because I was just like inspired by Nike to shop and I saw it in a theater. The theater was IPIC, I-P-I-C. I don't know if you guys have ever been to one of those, but it's the kind of theater that I dreamt of going to when I was a child because they like serve you food while you sit and like, you know, wait for the movie to start. You can like ring a little bell and then like a waiter comes and they serve you food and there's a menu. It's kind of cool. Like, That was something that as a little kid, I really wanted. I lusted after doing and thank God I finally have done it in my adult life. So I would definitely recommend that movie. In other movie news, we've all seen the Barbie trailer. We've all seen the memes. I just whoever is doing their marketing is fucking killing it for me. Like I'm so excited for this damn movie. I know that's like not a hot take at all in any way, shape or form. It does come out the day before my birthday. It feels sort of it feels like they made this movie for me in a way. Um, <laughs> obviously, they didn't. But it's just like, okay, cancer season, Barbie movie, Greta Gerwig. Let's do the movie the day before Eli's birthday and Selena Gomez and Teffy. It just felt like this movie is for us. And by us, I mean all of us. I'm so excited. I just think it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be amazing. I don't know how you guys felt about the trailer, but I saw that trailer and I was like, I have n- no further questions. I am ready to go, ready to watch. The other thing that I'm really ready to watch this week is Coachella. I am not a Coachella girl. You guys know that about me. And before people are like, well, you probably didn't get invited and you're just saying touch grass. Um, No, I got invited to Revolve Fest actually, but I was like, I'm not going to Coachella. And one of the reasons I'm not going to Coachella is I just don't know if I would do well there emotionally, like anxiety wise. Firstly, big festivals give me anxiety anyway. And knowing what I know about Coachella, I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't survive there. I wouldn't thrive there. So that's one part of it. Number two is I just feel like the pressure would be too much for me, which is something that I can very much so admit. There are people that thrive on like putting together the outfits and the vibe and the hair and getting the glam. And for me, it's just like I am a little too introverted for that, I think. But then also I would be comparing myself so much. And something that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks is just comparison in general, like conceptually and more specifically how I feel that I have compared myself 
so much to other people that I've sort of like lost track of who I am at certain points. For example, when I started TikTok, I feel like I was super inclined to want to be a Revolve girly and dress super trendy and do all these sorts of things because I thought that in order to be cool or to like myself, that's what I had to do. And I'm not slighting anybody who does like Revolve. I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just not really my style. And I feel like for a really long time, I was sort of comparing myself so ruthlessly that I started to lose sight of the things I actually like, which is so common. And this is like another completely off tangent from Coachella, but I just feel like it it's a setting in which I know I would compare myself and I've been trying to avoid those settings. Um, but what I am excited for is for everyone to post. Like I want to eat the fucking content up. I want to see the outfits. I want to see the vibe. I want the complaints. I want the good parts. I want the bad parts. I want the whole kit and caboodle because here's one thing about me. I am a fan. I will fangirl over these influencers at Coachella. I want to see it, please. I'm about to make a TikTok about this, but like I need them to post in excess. I need volume. I need shit posting desperately that's what I want from from them this weekend because I just feel like it's like fun just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not fun and then that leads me to my next point which is going to be touch grass part two touch grass part two I received a dm from somebody who doesn't follow me and it was after I saw the Nike movie I was like raving about how like it was literally such a good fucking movie I'm gonna see it again it's like my favorite movie now I'm obsessed but you guys know my humor it's like all exaggerations and sarcasm so then after I made a second story and I'm pretty sure my exact verbiage was but just like to warn everybody don't worry just because I like the movie does not mean I like sports I just like Nike Viola Davis EGOT Ben sexy as fuck daddy Affleck I forget what else I said, Michael Jordan and Nike and Portland. Like I I said a couple words and I was like, XO. I received a DM being like, don't yuck other people's yum, especially not women in sports. And I was like, please, like we all need to take a deep fucking breath. Like, first of all, you don't follow me, which I can see. If you did, you would know that everything I say on Instagram, at least 80% of it, you can assume is sarcastic and exaggerated. Like I'm always trying to make a joke and the girls know my humor. The girls are loving my humor. Like nobody read that and was like, Eli hates women in sports. Eli, I just don't like sports, but then there are people who don't like musical theater. And I'm like, you have bad taste, but go off. You don't have to like things that I like. You just have to let me love it. And I'm letting the girls who like sports, like sports. I want you guys to like sports because guess what? My mom, she is the number one biggest sports fan ever. I don't know if I've explained this to you guys. This bitch, like she doesn't talk to my dad over March Madness if Michigan and Villanova are playing each other because she roots for Michigan and he roots for Villanova. Like it's intense. She watches all the NBA, all the NFL, name a sport. She's there. She loves sports. I fucking hate them, but we are fine with that. Like I'm allowed to hate sports. She's allowed to like it. I'm just saying like, don't worry. Like I'm still a theater kid. Like I wanted to reassure my audience that I have not changed. And that was sarcastic. So I'm kind of like, that's my touch grass for the week. I always like to just share one with you because you guys would be just surprised at the volume at which people need to touch grass, um, especially on TikTok. So that's kind of that. I went home. I saw the puppy. He's doing lovely. He went on a boat today and I think he's kind of like loving his nautical life. Um, I've told you guys I don't want a puppy anymore because I just don't want to take care of one. I believe taking care of babies is easier than taking care of a puppy and I want to adopt an old dog because first of all, we should all be adopting old dogs. I'm sorry. I understand people want a dog from young age, but even three, four years old, like come on, these dogs are in the shelter like that. Someone needs to go get them. Pick up the dog. Come on, guys. If I influence you to do one thing, it's going to be adopt an old dog, okay? I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to. Anyway, I've been trying to take this week to chill a little bit. Obviously, 
it's easier said than done, but like just relax. Um, I finished the book. I turned it in, just had a call with my agents. Um, we're getting it to the copy editor by Wednesday. Things are picking up. We're going to see covers again soon. The tour is happening. The things are happening. This is my last month with my current podcast producing um, platform. And then we're moving. But my new agents, they have a podcast studio. And they were like, you can decorate it. You can get a sign. And I'm like, holy shit. Like we are going to, we're leveling up in every way, shape or form. Also, I launched a newsletter this week. So if you're interested in reading my writing, if you hate writing, if you hate me, I don't even care. Subscribe at the link of my bio. It's called The Drama Club. But no, it's not about theater. It's kind of just more of just an idea, just a concept. It's going to be about whatever I feel like it being about. And the first one is going to drop on May 1st. So that's happening. And then the only other really big thing that I have going on is that I'm going to Austin tomorrow for my brother's birthday. It was a gift from me to them. You guys know this. If you've been listening to the pod, I've told you about it. I'm going to have a big recap next week. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be super fun. I'm currently like packing, trying to figure that shit out. And that's really all, you know, that's, that's the kit and caboodle. That's the moment. That's what we're working with. Um, and I hope you guys are having a good week. I know in New York, it's super warm out. I feel kind of strange about it because I'm like, okay, like we all, like we all love the nice weather, but like what happened to 60 degrees? Like it's actually 90 in New York today. I'm going to try to go on a walk. I just feel like like, I don't even know if I'll be able to make it through a whole ass run. I am signed up for the marathon, but I've explained this to you guys. Like, I'm so competitive with myself. My last marathon was three hours and 53 minutes. And I just feel like I feel like I'm probably not going to be able to run faster than that. And that would be sad for me. I'm trying to unlearn that behavior. Um, there's a lot of unlearning going on. You know what I mean? Like, keep being curious, keep asking questions, all the things. So why don't we just get into it without further ado, we're going to talk about how to slay a relationship with a friend, with a partner, with yourself. And we're going to start by talking about attachment styles. Now, if you don't know what an attachment style is, this is like a psychological thing. Like we are a woman in STEM today. Basically, this is a fucking definition that I'm giving you from the internet. Attachment styles are our way of interacting with and attaching ourselves to the people who are the most important to us. These styles can influence our mindset and behavior in our closest relationships. I just believe and kind of the through line of this whole episode is that knowing the ways that you psychologically respond to things, whether it's your attachment style or your love language or even your astrology, all of that stuff can inform how you communicate with others, how you act with others and how you want to be treated and how you treat others. I just think it's all really important. So everybody has an attachment style or, you know, you don't you're not necessarily just one. You can be several. Um Everyone has one. And I don't think that they're inherently negative or bad. A lot of times we talk about attachment styles and we're like, oh my God, like, and I'm going to get into like all the different kinds, but like, we're like, oh my God, she's anxiously attached. Like that's so bad. And I feel like I always say this, but for me, anxiety and depression has always been something that will probably live within me for my whole life. And I have not found a way to cure it because I think it's impossible. I've had a, I found a way to live with it and live in spite of it and honor my life despite it despite it happening to me and also to just manage it. And I feel like that's kind of what it is with attachment styles. Like, I think this is going to be something that I always have inside of me. That's always present within me. And I just need to learn how to manage it. Now, always disclosure. You guys know I'm not a doctor. I did research about this. Don't shoot the messenger, but therapy is king. Okay. We love it. So 
if you want to know your attachment style, the attachment project, which is where I got a lot of this information, has a quiz that you can take. And if you're super interested in attachment styles after this conversation, there's a book called Attached that I cannot recommend enough. It is a book that explains attachment styles and it really will help you to understand how to interact with other people, even coworkers, even your best friends, your worst enemies, whatever it may be. And a lot of times when we're talking about attachment styles, I feel like we're looking at them through the lens of just relationships and dating and love. But in fact, there is so much to be said about the way that you attach yourself to your closest friends, your family, even yourself. And for me personally, I don't believe that my attachment style was developed solely in childhood. We're going to get into this, but the general consensus is that your attachment style develops in childhood based on the way that you were raised and brought up and the connections you were forming then. But I looked into it and it is possible for your attachment style to change or mold. And I feel like I was more securely attached as a kid and I became anxiously attached. Um, But overall, I feel that it's a pretty human thing to want some form of connection and to want to be desired. I think it's normal. I don't think it's a bad thing to want connection. Like naturally, just based on the way that we were raised and our background and identity, the ways we connect to the most intimate people will be different than how we connect to other people in our lives or how we interact with other people in our lives. But I just feel like it's not bad to want human connection. It's not bad to want to be desired. It becomes negative when that's your chief and only want. It becomes your attachment style becomes negative when you're feeding into its negative aspects. But ultimately, I feel that these things aren't bad. You know, that nothing is truly inherently bad or good. You know, there's gray space everywhere. So the scientist who actually came up with attachment theory, his name is John Bowlby. I'm pretty sure he's British. If you're interested in understanding it on a more scientific level, he is a psychiatrist, was a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who basically came up with this. And he said one's relationship with their parents during childhood has an overarching influence on their social intimate relationships and even relationships at work into the future. So if you think about it like this, a child is dependent on their caregivers, the people that are giving them care. So if your needs were met at 100%, whatever you needed, and you are fully satisfied as a child, you develop secure attachment. This is what he says. It is clearly a very simplistic kind of overarching sort of umbrella generalization. And I think if we look into it now, a lot of other psychologists and psychoanalysts and psychiatrists have come out with more nuanced views on attachment theory. This is just the very humble beginnings of attachment theory because obviously our different identities also really play into this. And I don't think that that's something that he fully took into consideration because naturally when the world is set up for cishet white men to succeed then they're going to probably likely be the people that are more securely attached nine times out of 10. Now, I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but I just think that he kind of fails to bring in like the diversity and some color. But ultimately, that's what he said. And if you want to learn more about it, you should definitely read the book Attached. It's really amazing. And so there are technically four attachment styles. There's anxious or preoccupied, avoidant or dismissive, disorganized or fearful, and secure. And you're not going to 100% fit into one category. It's similar to like, um, it's similar to like any kind of one of those quizzes, like Enneagram or the INFJ, ENFJ, where they tell you like the percent that you are, whatever you are when you take one of those quizzes. So for me, my number one is anxious attachment. And then I would say my number two is fearful avoidant. And I'm going to discuss like what all of these mean. But for me, I, as a child necessarily, didn't feel as much 
anxious attachment as I do now. And a lot of it stemmed from a relationship I had in college, which was during a really formative year of my life when I was 18 years old. And I just had a lot of anxiety about abandonment. And I also just felt pretty consistently anxious in that relationship, which led me to be really clingy and sort of more involved and invested than he was. So that is kind of how I feel that mine manifested. But if you take the quiz and read the book, you can look into the ways that you think that yours manifested. Also, this is amazing to talk about in therapy. Like, cannot stress it enough. Most therapists know about this and will be willing to talk about it. So let's break them down and like give a brief overview. So anxious attachment style is the thought of being without your partner or being completely by yourself and not just like alone, like, oh, I'm alone right now recording my podcast, but more so like alone, you know, in perpetuity causes anxiety. It causes you to seek approval, which I think is really interesting because my love language is definitely words of affirmation. And I am constantly seeking like verbal affirmation from people. And it's really a priority to feel safe in relationships. And so if you're someone who is in a relationship with someone who's anxiously attached, you're going to want to do things like use words of affirmation, affirm them that you're not going anywhere, make them feel safe and secure and comfortable a little bit more than you typically would. Avoidant is typically or dismissive is typically like the lone wolves they're strong they're independent they're fierce they don't need to be in a relationship they don't feel the need to be in a relationship at all because they don't want to depend on others and they avoid emotional closeness for this reason so for me to be in a relationship with someone like that is to sort of like respect their boundaries and help them to feel comfortable and confident opening up and getting emotionally close to you and feeling okay depending on you Fearful avoidant is people that want intimacy and closeness and they want that to be a priority in their lives, but they have sort of a troubled trusting and depending on people for fears of getting hurt and things of the like. So sometimes I do feel like that's also definitely inside of me. And I feel like if you're dating someone like that, it's sort of just about, again, words of affirmation and also hearing them out and listening to listen and not to respond because if these people want to be in their relationship but they're having their own concerns it's really important to listen to your partner and not just seek to fix because sometimes something can't be fixed overnight and then there's secure attachment which is obviously just means somebody who's securely attached means that they're just thriving I don't know if I know any fucking bitch who's securely attached like if you take this quiz and you get secure I'm literally so jealous of you. you should be the president of the United States like I I cannot imagine being a securely attached individual. It's never going to happen for me. So I've made peace with this. You know what I mean? And I'm okay with it. And, and something that I always do is I always feel really empowered by expressing the fact that I have an anxiously attached style to new partners because I do not want my time wasted and I do not want to get hurt. And I want us to be able to build something on really healthy, strong ground. It's like, I've said this before, but like when the bones are good, the rest don't matter. Like the pain could peel, the glass could shatter. You know what I mean? So it's the kind of thing where it's like, thank you, Marin Morris. If you set a good foundation, you can build the house and it's not going to fall down when something goes wrong. Apparently, from what I read, most of us don't fully belong to the securely attached group. Like most of us are not in the securely attached group. I'm not sure I could ever be there um, ever. So uh, apparently the vast majority of people in the world are not securely attached, which I guess is a little bit good to hear. You know, we're all in this together, as High School Musical might say. Now, furthermore, they also can change, which I think is sort of a good thing because like we change and Obviously, almost everything about who we are was, you know, planted as a seed in us in childhood. And then obviously we change as individuals. We grow, we mold, we mature. We learn new things. We have new experiences. And I think it's good that your 
your attachment style can change, meaning you can also become securely attached, like through enough therapy with the right people, with the right intentions. From what I have read, it is possible to become a securely attached individual. Um, But because I know that I have anxious attachment from my past relationships, it was pretty refreshing to hear that your attachment style can change. So I think I might have been more fearful, avoidant growing up, but now I'm honestly pretty anxiously attached um, and a study I was reading confirmed that 30% of people saw a change in their attachment style over various time periods. So who knows? Like there might be hope for me yet. I might become a securely attached bitch. The reason that I wanted to share attachment theory and attachment styles to you is because I feel like we're more comfortable talking about love languages because it's almost like fun. But people see attachment theory in such a negative light. And that's definitely a story we're telling ourselves like you're not a broken person if your past experiences have led you to handle relationships or communicate with people or attach to someone in a certain way. You're not a problem. Nobody is going to be deterred from dating you if they're the right person because you have trauma or baggage or something that happened to you. And the worst thing that we can do is bottle these things up when we're getting into relationships because then we can blindside someone and they will not know how to best love and care for us. Because here's the thing. People are not mind readers and it is so helpful to give guidance. This is how I need to be loved. This is how I need to be supported. This is how I need to be cared for. Because I would hope that if your partner said those things to you, you would be like, yes, let's make a game plan because there's no way I would have figured that out on my own. It's not weird. It's not overbearing. You're not weak. It's the only way that you're going to be in a healthy relationship is if you at the get and at the jump when things start heating up, start sharing these things to the other person. And if you are afraid that opening up and sharing something with somebody is going to scare them away, then they're not the right person. Because why the fuck would you ever want to be with someone that when you say, hey, this really bothered me or hey, I'm struggling with this or hey, this is how I need to be supported and loved by you. They were like, ew. You would literally never want to be with someone like that and you would never treat someone like that. So don't let them get away with treating you like that. I really believe communication is a make or break. It is so fucking important. We cannot expect people to read our minds and we have been fed this idea that people will, that they will just know. Oh my God, I just knew. It's like, no, that's not realistic. We have to straddle this line of realism and hope and expressing these things to your partner basically ensures that they're going to do their best to love you in the way that you need and that you guys are not going to run into a situation where they're not being super gentle about something simply because they didn't realize or they didn't know. Like, if someone doesn't know that you need a little bit extra affirmation to feel secure and safe, they'll start resenting you when you're not feeling secure and safe. But if you're able to communicate, hey, I'm just going to need a little bit more affirmation from you or, hey, do you want to take the attachment styles quiz together and see our different attachment styles and talk it out? That is so normal. That's only going to be a plus in their column, a check, a tool for them to succeed in loving you so that you guys can build this relationship on a healthy foundation. Like, We're all human. We cannot pretend that we're some perfect individual just so somebody else loves us because at the end of the day, when the truth comes out, you're going to have convinced someone to fall for someone who isn't you. And why would you ever want to do that? Imagine if that happened to you, you know, always put the shoe on the other foot. The right person is going to embrace everything you are, even the really human, maybe perceptively ugly or negative parts of yourself that you feel ashamed of. The right person is going to love you 
through it all with it all. And I think having that belief is the first step because a lot of times we can't bring ourselves to believe that we deserve that, but you do deserve that. You deserve to feel heard and seen and celebrated and lifted up. And you deserve for people to look at you and say, I see you as a full human and I want to be with you because of it. Because that's that's all we can truly ask for. The right person will never think that you're broken because of their attachment style and you will never think that they're broken because of their attachment style. We can all become secure, hopefully. Read the book attached, do your own research, take the quiz. I think it's less fun, more sciencey, but I wanted to talk about it because I think it's so important. I cannot stress how helpful it had been when I started dating my current boyfriend to just be like, I have this trauma and this baggage from my last relationship, my past relationships. I don't really want to get into it right now, but what I need you to know is that here's the way I need to feel loved and supported. It was such a breath of fresh air to have someone be like, okay, you got to assume the best. It's the universe's job to confirm your assumptions. I really do think that we have this bullshit idea from like rom-coms and media and even our parents who are way less prone to talking about stuff and being open about things that a relationship can survive and thrive without ever talking about the messy shit. People pretend like they don't talk about the messy shit and everything is a walk in the park, but they fucking do. Okay. You have to talk about the messy shit. Let's just say your kitchen is an utter and complete fucking disaster. If you just keep walking by it every day, it's going to mold up and eventually you're going to have to move. Do you know what I mean? So you got to just get in there and clean, get in there and do it together. Okay. Everyone says Gen Z is more open-minded and just willing to be open talking about mental health and their pasts and everything, which I think is amazing for all of us. If you are Gen Z, because I think it's just going to push us to have healthier relationships. And I think that's, that's already happening all around us. And I just want you guys to know it is not weird to express a concern. If somebody thought it was weird that you express something that was on your mind, they are not the person for you. If somebody thought it was weird that you texted them, they are not the person for you. You cannot help the way you feel. Feeling is not a choice. We don't choose how we feel. So do not apologize for how you feel. And do not gaslight yourself into thinking that your feelings are invalid or weird or it would, quote, scare them away, unquote. If you being you scared someone away, they're not the fucking one. I'm not even kidding. They're not the one. Okay. if you are worried that your partner would think that you are weird for bringing something up that's important to you. Let me just say that again. If your partner thought it was weird or they were scared that you brought something up that's important to you. Fucking run for the hills. Leave them out with the trash because they don't deserve you. They don't deserve to hold your heart in their hands and be gentle with it. Okay. Because think about it. Your ass would never find it weird if your partner said, Hey, XYZ is bothering me. Hey, XYZ is really important to me. Can we talk about how we can prioritize it more? Period. End of story. Okay. So go after what you deserve. And now let's have some fun and talk about love languages. Okay. Love languages. We all know them for the most part. They are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical fucking touch. Now, I wanted to tell you guys a little anecdote that I like made my parents take the love language quiz because they didn't know what that was. And you should definitely make your parents take it or you're like, whatever your guardians, your mom, her boyfriend, whoever it is. It's just like funny to see them take it. And my mom's ended up being like the way that she wants to receive love was like, um, quality time and physical touch and like the way my dad like gives love is like 
gifts and acts of service. It was just funny. Like they were misaligned and then they like started talking about it and it was actually really interesting. So basically this also comes from a man, which I hate, but again, a lot of people have had some nuanced ideas on it and I'm always open to hearing those. I've seen a bunch of them on TikTok and the like. So basically author Gary Chapman revolutionized the relationship space, quote unquote, that's a quote from the fucking interwebs when he released the five love languages, the secret to love that lasts in 1992. So obviously this is a bit outdated, but I feel like despite the fact that this isn't like gospel, this isn't Bible, there are other ways to give and receive love. The way our identity plays into all of this is super important to note. This isn't the end all be all. I just think it's a good guidelines and generally speaking is a good place to start. Again, big umbrella generalization, but listen, communication and figuring out how we like to give and receive love is hard because that requires knowing And how the fuck are we supposed to know? Like you might want to give or receive love in some way outside of this. You might be in a polyamorous relationship. You might be asexual. There are so many different like things that kind of contribute to how we would like to be loved and how we want to love others. Furthermore, Love languages are definitely something that can be done just for us, which is something that I think is really interesting when we talk about sort of self-care and the intersection between the two. And so I wanted to talk about that as well, where it's like we're going to talk about how you can perform each of these love languages on a partner, on a friend and on yourself. So my hot take, though, to kind of kick things off is are we not all love languages? Like on some level, I do feel that we need all of them. Like I personally know I do. I when I choose one, mine are words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, physical time. Like I want them all like do I want my partner to affirm me? Yeah. Do I want to spend time with them? That's like quality time. Yeah. Do I want to receive gifts? Obviously. People are always like mine's all the love languages except for gifts. I'm like, shut the fuck up. We all like to get a good gift, especially if it's a good gift. If it's a bad gift, like, okay, but like a good gift, we all want a good gift. Okay. Physical touch. Like for the most part, I would say all of us want that with our partners. So that's kind of, you know, my thing. Then I think people get a little confused about are the love languages how we want to give love or how we want to receive it? I think it's both. A lot of people have the same one. I would say the way I give love is words of affirmation and gifts. And the way I receive it needs to be affirmation all the time. But I also am getting better at some of the other ones because my boyfriend and I both took the love language quiz to try to figure out what our biggest one is because they will rank all um, five for you. And then like what, you know, the, the lower ones are. But like, my love language is so many things. My love language is, hey, I'm getting up right now. Do you need me to grab you something? My love language is a back massage and like that falls under physical touch. You know, it can be more specific than this, but this is just a good guide baseline. Um, and back to what I was saying before, I just don't think like it's 2023, bitch. Like you can literally do whatever the fuck you want. The sky's the limit. You have sparkling autonomy. Do not settle for a bitch who is unwilling to give you love in the way that you want it like don't settle for the dude who's like I'm sorry it's just not my thing Valentine's Day not my thing it's like okay cool I'm glad that it's not your thing that's your right but it it is mine so can we meet in the middle if someone is not willing to compromise with you it's not fucking worth it if somebody is not willing to meet you where you're at and go above and beyond for you it's not fucking worth it I would much rather be by myself than by some than with the guy who says it's not my thing and I don't care that it's yours because if it is my thing and it's important to me then I would want my partner to rise to that fucking occasion 
And I think it's great that we're going to talk about uh, love languages in terms of friends and also in terms of love for ourselves and how we can give ourselves love and how we want to receive love from ourselves to ourselves, free flowing, all the things. Because I look at like every single human being as a series of gas tanks. So you have a tank for school and education, a tank for career, tank for your hobbies, family, friends, significant other, relationship, dating, social life. These are all separate tanks, right? And we cannot rely on just one person to fill up all the tanks. They don't have enough gas. I need to rely on my boyfriend to fill up the relationship tank. And if he can't fill it up at full every single week, that's okay because I don't need it to be on full. I just need to make sure I'm not on E. But I cannot require my boyfriend to fill up all of my tanks. There are different tanks for different reasons. And I don't need all my tanks to be full in order to run, if that makes sense. So I think it's really important to think about love languages in terms of relationships and same with attachment styles. But think about it in terms of friends too. I mean, my attachment style, my anxious attachment, it does manifest in my friendships. Like the idea, oh, all my friends hate me or the idea of I'm too anxious to get close to someone like That has to do with friendship as well. And it's really important, as you guys know, I always say this, treat our relationships like friendships and treat our friendships like relationships. And by relationships, I mean romantic. These days, people are starting to understand and know about their love languages in the same way they know and understand astrology. So just asking like, what's your uh, what's your love language? And if they don't know, being like, let's take the love language quiz and like see how we're different. Just figure it out first. Like it helps so much. I cannot describe how much it helps. Like having a cheat code for this is how you love me. This is how I can feel most supported. This is what I want from you. Holy fuck. Because again, we're all putting pressure on ourselves, especially as women to read minds when we simply fucking cannot do it. So stop trying. It's not going to happen. We're not superheroes. We can't be invisible. We can't read minds. We just can't. I wish we fucking could read minds. Like, oh my God, would that make the world way better and also way worse? But here's the thing. We can't do it. So ask, ask, ask. And if you're afraid to ask, that is your red flag to get the fuck away from that friend, that person, whatever it is. Okay. So now I'm going to give you examples and each example is going to have, um, doing it for your friends, doing it for a partner and doing it for yourself. So starting out with words of affirmation. Now words of affirmation is sort of easy for me because it's sort of my favorite love language. And it's something that comes natural to me because it is words. I know others don't have as easy as a time opening up. So let's say that you're dating someone whose love language is words of affirmation. And that's something that's going to be super duper important to that person. Here are some ways to affirm them saying I love you, reminding them how you feel about them, saying I'm just so happy right now to be here with you. Date night tonight was really nice and connecting with you was really special for me. Sending reminder texts throughout the day. Hey, thinking of you. Hey, I love you so much. Hope you're having a good day. Writing them a note or an email when something really strikes you or something really moves you. Being encouraging in general. Affirming that you're not going anywhere and that you feel secure in the relationship. Affirming, hey, I'm not going to be on the grid today. I have a busy day, but I'll text you at night. By 6 p.m., you'll hear from me. Complimenting them or being a good listener, which a lot of people don't think that that would go in words of affirmation, but it actually does because it shows them that you're listening to listen and not listen to respond. And one little trick that I have is whenever somebody is venting to you that you're in a relationship with or a friendship, asking them when they're done venting, do you want empathy or advice right now? That's really awesome because it allows them to give you what they need instead of you starting to give them advice when they wanted just a shoulder to cry on or starting to give empathy when they're like, no, I fucking want you to tell me what to do. Some things that you shouldn't do with a partner who needs a little bit more affirmation from verbal stuff is 
non-constructive criticism. So anything kind of cruel, mean, something that they would really back pocket and think about that you said. So just watch your words. And I know we all get in those moments where we're fighting and shit hits the fan and we say things we didn't mean. That's not what I mean. That happens. I just mean in general, just be really intelligent and really sort of cognizant of the words you're using and just watch your words. So to a friend, to affirm them, it's much of the same stuff, you know, telling them what your friendship means. I think checking in just a simple like, hey, thinking of you goes so fucking far. Giving them a call or a FaceTime out of the blue and being like, I just wanted to hear your voice. A text saying, hey, uh, can we make plans? Uh, You've been on my mind. And all the same stuff that I said before, giving them compliments, um, making them feel secure. If something comes up where like a friend, you know, had to cancel plans or something, saying something like, I love you. I'm glad you're taking the night to rest. Don't worry. You know, because the people that need words of affirmation are going to be anxious when they feel like they're disappointing you. And they're going to need you to say like, hey, don't worry about it. You're not disappointing me. I'm bummed that I can't see you because I love you, but I'm not mad. Things like that. Just being overtly aware of what those people need. And that is how you would give it to a friend. Now to yourself, this one's a bit, um, probably more difficult to think about. But once I started thinking about it, I realized it's a lot about positive self-talk and encouraging yourself. Now, this to me is something that's super duper hard, especially being someone that spends a lot of time alone. Um, encouraging myself and and being positive when I speak to myself is really huge also believing that I deserve something good believing that I deserve the good things that I'm encouraging myself to go after it is so true that conscious thoughts become subconscious action so if you have to fake it till you make it do it journaling finding some affirmations on Pinterest or in a podcast or whatever it is that you really love and just working on yourself because you want to and because you love yourself and because you value yourself it's a little bit harder and more intentional I always say it's much easier to love someone else than it is to love yourself because loving someone else is almost like an act that you can't resist where loving yourself is something really intentional that we have to work on and mold and like do and be super specific about and intentional about and to me that's why I don't believe even love yourself before you love someone else because I think loving yourself is much harder I believe in respect yourself before you love someone else and that's a whole different podcast episode but I think that giving yourself this stuff is going to feel harder but it's going to be equally as important if not more important because when we work on ourself and our self-care it is community care because it ends up benefiting the people around us okay next up physical touch I think a lot of us think physical touch, it's just sex and it's definitely sex, but sex can mean whatever the fuck you want it to mean. So I think physical intimacy is part of it. Sex, you know, second base, first base, whatever you want it to be, which by the way, like complete tangent, but I had a completely different idea of what the bases were than anybody else. Like I thought that first base was like over the pants, hand job, like groping second base was like hand job fingering third base was oral apparently that's not true and I thought home run was sex like I think that my mom was like no that's like actually not the case at all like somebody told me that's like like can you someone dm me and tell me what they think the actual bases are but like anyways hand holding just grabbing their hand when you're out doing something or over the dinner table giving them a little footsie a little nudge a little touch a hug putting your arm around them 
cuddling. It doesn't need to be PDA either. It can just be snuggling on the couch watching TV, a hug after a long day, a back rub, a massage, a little scratch, nonverbal body language, body language to suggest that you love them, that you like being around them. Sometimes like we don't think about it like our partner walks in the door and we don't immediately get up and give them a hug. But if you know your partner is a physical touch person, they want to melt into you after a long day. And that's going to mean a lot to them. Now, with friends, it's a little harder. I I'm not a big toucher. If you're a family member or my boyfriend, I will touch you. But otherwise, I'm not a big toucher. So I really like the idea of non-sexual and non-verbal body language to just suggest that you're open for someone. I always notice like when my arms are crossed or like when I'm like sort of slouching and like my shoulders are like caved in versus when I'm like open and sort of like ready for someone. Um, And so I think friends, this is one of the harder ones to do. But ultimately, body language is everything. And that's a whole nother episode. And I think you get an expert to talk about body language as well. And then for yourself, movement, exercise, a long walk, Pilates, whatever feels good, doing skincare, doing hair care, go, go out and get yourself a massage, go to the spa, put on comfy clothes and get under your anxiety blanket, like stabilizing your body to stabilize your nervous system, like making your body feel good. One of my things that I do for physical touch for myself is I like love to like body butter and body oil my body after I get out of the shower. Like that's like a ritual for me in my robe that makes me feel like I'm giving myself love and care and intentionality. So that's what I would say for physical touch. Okay. Gifts. I think we have this conception that it's just like giving someone a gift, but it doesn't necessarily need to be just like buying them things all the time. I think it's a little bit about surprising them with something small. You go to the airport to go on a trip or whatever, and every time you bring them back like a trucker hat from wherever you went from the airport, something kitschy and cute, spending money on them in some way that isn't just like a material good, but like taking them on a little journey and adventure, planning something thoughtfulness. I think that's the big thing for gift people. Like people don't realize like for me, especially I tell this story before, but like my ex-boyfriend and I were on again, off again. And then Valentine's day, we were on again and he got me seltzer and granola that I was allergic to. And I don't even like seltzer. And here's the thing about me. I am low maintenance, high strung. People confuse that with being high maintenance, but I'm not high maintenance. He could have gotten me a book from like a vintage bookshop and wrote me a really nice card and got me one of my favorite snacks. And I would have said, wow, that is so fucking thoughtful. And it only cost them like $18. It's about prioritizing them and their wants and being thoughtful Special occasions are huge for these people. Valentine's Day, birthdays, date nights, they want it to be special, okay? They just want intentionality behind these things. And I think that the misconception is that they're materialistic when they're not. Same thing for a friend, but on a smaller scale, you can pick up the bar tab, a little gift that you made or brought them, being in tune to the fact that their birthday is important to them, that they want to do Valentine's Day, that they want to do Secret Santa, things like that, being intentional and thoughtful about when you're planning something to do with a friend and you're going to text them and ask them to do it, that you are picking things that they love. Like that's kind of how you love someone that's a friend in a gifty way. And then I think just for yourself, it's buying yourself something every now and then without guilt. I think that's the big one because you can't really be like thoughtful to yourself. That's a little bit harder, but being able to go out and treat yourself every now and again on something that you really want and not feeling guilty for it is how you can do that for yourself. All right. Quality time. Quality time for a partner is going to be intentional time spent. That's uninterrupted. It is not, oh, we live together and we're in bed together at night. Now that's time spent together and that can be intimate and it can be quality time. But quality time is our favorite TV shows on. Let's pop popcorn, get on the couch, pour wine and intentionally watch this show together tonight. 
and let's do it in an uninterrupted way. Not, oh my God, I have to run in an hour, but it's more so I'm not on my phone. You're not on your phone. We're locked in. We're enjoying this time and we chose this time. It's not like a passive thing like, oh, we're both home or, oh, we're both in the area. Let's just grab a quick bite. It's intentional. Same thing with friends. It's like going out of your way to spend special time one-on-one with them and your whole attention is on that moment. It's not just like, oh, I can grab a quick drink and then, and that could be quality time, but it's more so these types of people want intentional time spent uninterrupted with your brain, your mind, yourself. And then for yourself, I think it's a lot about spending time alone that's active and not passive and dedicating that time to honoring your life. So I talk about this a lot, but I have this concept of active alone time versus passive alone time and active alone time would be time that you're spending alone that you did not choose to have. So you just found yourself alone. Nobody's home. No one's free. You're by yourself. Passive alone time is when you choose to have like a solo night in or go do something by yourself. Sometimes we get uncomfortable with active alone time because we feel like we should be surrounded by people. And I think something that you have to do, which is super intentional, is make your active alone time feel more like passive alone time. So if you do find yourself by yourself and you're like, damn it, like I feel this, I feel that, like I didn't want to be alone, start being like, well, how can I make this special for me? How can I be intentional about what I'm going to do with this time? How am I going to care for myself and have this uninterrupted time with myself dedicated to honoring my life and making me feel good, whatever that means. Okay. A lot of time for me, um, with quality time is doing things that other people don't necessarily want to do with me or like to do with me. And that could be like a myriad of different things. Like quality time for me is sometimes going on a long run or anything like that. And then we have the acts of service. So for a partner, making the bed is a really good one, especially if you don't live there, but also if you do, doing their laundry, cleaning. Those are easy ones. Making them lunch, dinner, breakfast in bed, bringing them a coffee, cleaning their like white shoes or shoes at all, reorganizing, vacuuming, car stuff. But the big thing that acts of service people want is they want help or aid doing things that they do not want to do themselves that they don't like doing. So like if your partner is someone who is all down to do the laundry but hates the dishes, it's going to be really important to them when you go out of your way to do the dishes. Or they didn't even know they have to clean their coffee filter or their Brita filter doing that shit for them. Doing little things for them that's going to make you feel like, okay, my partner really thinks about me and thinks about the kinds of things that I don't want to do. And they lend me a hand for that friend. Same as the above help alleviate their workload. If you feel them being super stressed, because I feel like for friends, it's like a little bit less likely that you'll just be like serving them with acts of service. But if you have a best friend whose workload sucks lately, finding ways to help them alleviate it. Like, Hey, I was running to the store and noticed you had all those boxes piling up. I grabbed them and recycled them for you. You know, something small like that. It doesn't need to be big. None of this does. And then for yourself, going to therapy, taking a the shower, cleaning and organizing your room, planning, making Pinterest boards, just serving yourself, but going out for your favorite dinner because you know you deserve it, feeling like you deserve it. Overall, you need to be able to give yourself love in a way that feels good to you before you can give it to other people. So no, you don't need to love yourself 24 seven, three, six, five in order to love someone else. That's bullshit because we're never going to love ourselves 24 seven. It's not realistic, but we can respect ourselves and honor our lives and know how we like to give ourselves love. And in turn, then we can understand how to give it to other people. Hell, there are even professional love languages. Like there's so many different like nooks and crannies of the world wide web about this that's so interesting that I really found like really interesting when I was reading all about this 
and I want to give you guys a challenge and you can do this with a friend, you can do this with yourself, or you can do this with a partner. So you each are going to pick a love language to practice on the other over the course of a week and get super fucking creative. So this can be a partner like, okay, week one, I'm going to do acts of service for you and you're going to do quality time for me and see how it pans out. See what you guys like the best, because you might not even know, like a quiz isn't everything you need to try and have trial and error. But I can't explain to you how, when I realized that my boyfriend didn't really want gifts and words of affirmation as much as he wanted acts of service. And when I realized that I started to feel our relationship shift and become stronger because I was able to provide him the love and support that he requires in a relationship. And sometimes we end up in situations where we don't stay with a person or we have a relationship that falls apart solely because we don't communicate about our needs and wants and desires because we think it's weird or we think it's not okay or we feel guilty for asking for something. Do not feel guilty for asking someone, for giving somebody basically a cheat sheet. Like imagine this is a test and you gave someone a cheat sheet on how to how to get an A plus 100% and they weren't going to get in trouble for having a cheat sheet like it was okay. They just missed the class the day that you were allowed to make the cheat sheet, right? Like you give them a guide, a map for how to love you and then they give it back. Like come on, that's fucking foolproof. Um, and you can do that little challenge that I just said with a friend or a roommate or for yourself. And what I really love about this is like, it's just psychology and there's so much reading to be done again, so much nuance to be found, but I just, I think it's refreshing. And during the spring, it's just like a fun time to sort of get after it. Okay. I decided to leave a little pop culture slash TV slash everything recap for the end. Cause I feel like it's just a fun button for the episode. So if you don't want spoilers for how to get away with murder, just skip ahead a few minutes, but essentially I finished the season and I just need to give you my final thoughts. So obviously Frank and Bonnie die and we don't really know what happens to Annalise other than the fact that she lives into sort of old age. She lives in old age and eventually she dies. Now, I think it's good that Bonnie and Frank died because Bonnie and Frank both fucking murdered innocent people like Rebecca and um, the Ron. Like they killed innocent people. The fact that Nate got away with killing innocent people. Interesting to me. I don't know. I felt weird. It felt detached. I liked the imagery of Michaela standing alone and like but it, it it checked for me. Like it was sad that she was crying after um Oliver was like, it should have been you when Connor was like, we're divorced and like walked away. I don't believe like what I want to believe happened is that Connor and Oliver ended up like Oliver showed up at the jail, like so fucking often that Connor and Oliver ended up um being like together. Like again, like when he got out of jail because they were at the funeral together, like, come on, they were together. I found it so fucking weird that, Wes is the actor who played Wes then played Christopher at the end I found it so fucking weird that Laurel would ever let her child teach that class knowing what she knows I knew it was going to be some sort of ominous weird fucking bullshit like that but the fact that she let her kid teach the class that like basically ruined their lives and the reason that their dad isn't alive I was like okay like kind of not it I just thought it was really unresolved. I don't know what happened to Annalise. Like, did she go back with Eve? Like, Eve was happy the last I checked. Was she with Nate? There's no resolve for me. The end was so bad. And it really, like, kind of crushed me that it was that bad. Because I was, like, wanting... I just wanted more. I wanted it to give something that it didn't give. So that was my recap on that. We started watching Scandal, but I'm sort of not as into it. I think I need a break from like high intensity television. We've been watching Dave, which you guys know is one of my favorite shows about Little Dicky. And we've been doing like our Curb Your Enthusiasm regularness. But last night, oh my fucking God, I can't believe I haven't talked about this yet. Last night, my boyfriend showed me Mr. Beast. Now listen, this man, 
this man, this is the only man I've ever liked in my life. First of all, his little squad of geeks, his friends that are, you know, they're just like those kids in like high school and middle school. Like I'm so passionate about him who were like in the science labs, like geeking around and like making like funny little chemistry projects. Like they're so not, um, they're so like non-threatening. They're just like non-threatening geek men. I mean, listen, maybe Mr. Beast has been canceled. Let me check. Like, I don't know anything about him. I just watched some of his videos. Mr. Beast canceled. Okay. The only time he's been canceled is when he was like, when he said that stupid shit, when he was like, Hey, like the displays of my candy bars have been looking kind of mid at Walmart. Can you guys, um, really like, uh, can you guys like fix it up for me if you see it? Like, come on. Like, I don't think that that's that bad. Um, okay. Wait, there's another thing. He got canceled in 2022 for a video titled a hundred girls versus a hundred boys for $500,000. They were supposed to compete in tasks to win the prize. The video people were angry because, okay, that makes sense. All right. So people were angry that, you know, it was so gendered. I feel like people nitpick him, but I don't see like one big major cancellation. Um, anyway. Okay. Back to Mr. Beast. So I watched first the video that's like, um, stayed in a hotel room that cost a dollar all the way up to a hotel room. That was like a million dollars. Insane. Like truly crazy. Like, he's just like a really good videographer and like really talented. But then but then I saw the video where he cured a thousand people's blindness with the surgery that they couldn't afford in all these countries around the world. But also he was just giving them like a hundred thousand dollars here, 500,000 here. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. This man is dedicated to philanthropy. Like this is fucking philanthropic shit. And it's entertaining. I love this man. You cannot get me to say one bad fucking word about Mr. Beast and his squad of nerdy ass kids who follow him around like puppies. I'm eating this shit up. He is my new favorite YouTube rabbit hole. It's professionally done. It's entertaining. You learn something. I was sobbing, sobbing at the video where he cured these people's blindness. I'm like, Mr. Beast is out here changing lives. Who else can say that about themselves? Literally who? Speaking of philanthropy, I had one other thing I wanted to say. This is such a tangent, but I was thinking about this. So I saw a video on my For You page of this girl who had gotten thrown out of her sorority because she wore her letters to a frat party. Now, if you've never been in Greek life, you're not allowed to wear your like sorority letters around alcohol or like at frat parties for whatever reason. And there are tons of other rules, including like men can't be in the side of sorority houses and also um um, they can't, women can't throw parties. It's very gendered. It's just, nah, you guys know how I feel. But anyway, this girl had gotten thrown out because she wore the letters and in the comments, she was saying, you know, nationals got mad, like our national advisor. So every sorority has an advisor at nationals who's like assigned to them. And I'm like, okay, first of all, why the fuck did Deborah, like, why did Deborah dedicate her life to Kappa Chota Omega? I don't know. But that being said, I'm like, does Deborah not know why people join sororities? Like, nobody nobody actually joins sororities for anything other than meeting people that you want to party with and probably meet guys with like you know meet people that are going to be your friends and you'll party with them and you have a social schedule and you'll have friends nobody does it for philanthropy I'm sorry you cannot say that to my face like oh I joined a sorority for philanthropy because if you wanted to do philanthropy you would just join any philanthropic organization you didn't have to pay for that only focuses on philanthropy and doesn't have a bunch of other perks and things added in there like no one does it for philanthropy be so fucking for real right now now. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like that's okay. Like let's all just be honest. Like I didn't join a sorority for philanthropy because if I wanted to do philanthropy, I would just go join 
any philanthropic organization that I didn't have to pay thousands of dollars for. That being said, I'm like, what does Deborah, the advisor, think that this girl is doing? Like, obviously, the only reason that they're in the sorority is to, like, have the letters and have parties and friends. Like, Deborah, be so fucking for real. Why were you in a sorority, bitch? Like, don't throw this poor girl out on the street because she wore her letters to a frat house. Like, oh, my God. Then that triggered more thoughts about horror stories from my sorority days. But I was really just like, people need to touch. That's another segment of touch grass. Like, this poor girl gets thrown out of her sorority for wearing a t-shirt to a frat party. I need everyone to be so fucking clinically for real right now. What else are you supposed to do in that shirt? Tell me right now. Tell me. Literally tell me. Like, what else are you supposed to do? It's a perfect shirt for day drinking. That's all I have to say. I'm sure she looked adorable. Anyway, how did I get here? Oh, philanthropy, Mr. Beast. He's such a good guy. You guys have to watch his YouTube videos. I think that's really my recommendation for the week. Watch Mr. Beast on YouTube. Really soak it all in. Live it, laugh it, love it, learn it. And just have an amazing, stunning, wonderful, beautiful week. Like, feel free to speak your mind and tell people how you need to be loved and what you deserve and go after all the things and drink an Aperol Spritz outside. It's really fucking nice out. And I hope you just are feeling good. I hope you're loving every single thing about this week. And if you're not, good news. Next week is a new week and we're going to be okay. I love you guys so fucking much. You don't even know. Everything about my life is better because you are in it. And I hope you know I'm proud of you. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. Love you. Bye. Kiss on the forehead from afar. Mwah.